Um, hey, happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. And if Father's Day is a, a day for celebration for you, then know that Jesus celebrates with you today. And if, um, as in some cases, Father's Day may, for, for various reasons, be a painful day or a day of sorrow, know that Jesus also grieves with you today. Um, but nonetheless, wanted to acknowledge fathers today. And um, yeah, thank you for your love. Um, my own pops is here today, right there. <laughs> big Geo. <laughs> and uh, the rest of my family, too. Today's a big day. It's also my sister's uh, birthday. She's here, Lindsay. <laughs> and it's also Juneteenth today, um, which, yes, we very much celebrate. Um, and, yeah, Lindsay, I've, I never put this together, but I think it's pretty prophetic how your birthday falls on Juneteenth, just given, like, what like the Lord has put on your life, you know, for loving and serving those who, you know, <laughs> the systems of empire haven't really impacted or benefited the same. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, we acknowledge and celebrate Juneteenth today. All right, so let's get into the word. We're going to continue. I'm going to kick this water bottle over, so I'm going to move it now. Um, we're continuing in our series uh, today on one of our church's values, which is honor. Steve started this series off for us up here last week, and so I'll be continuing in that. Um, and yeah, before we get into the text, just want to acknowledge, I think often this is ends up being the case, but it's incredible how closely our time of worship tied into what um, we'll be talking about today, like really, really really uh, specifically. Um, like the whole, one of the whole punchlines of today's message is, as you're calling me deeper and deeper still into love. Um, is Gwen in the room? Yeah, right there. Hey, I just want to affirm you this morning um, in a couple of ways. First, uh, you are really a worship leader who hears the voice of Jesus. And I've known that for a while, but I want to just call that out in you. And it's not the case with every worship leader out there, but it is with you. And it's amazing. And the second thing is, um, I've told you this before, but I do see this like anointing on your life as like a lion. Um, and just being in the room, I haven't really been in the room with you leading worship lately. But um, yeah, I'm like seeing that coming out more and more. Um, and I just want to affirm that in you. And I, I think there's like multiple facets to it. But one thing that was like in my heart this morning as you were singing was, I think part of that anointing um, is that like there's strength in your voice. You know, I think you have, everyone would agree, you have a really strong voice. But as you're singing, there's strength in it. And I think part of the anointing is that if someone comes into the room to worship, but they don't feel strong or they don't have strength in their voice that day, or maybe they can't even physically get words out, I see them almost just like riding on the wings of your voice. And so there is a physical just strength to your voice, but there's an anointing that's tied in with that. Um, and I just think the Lord's going to continue to pour out more in that. And I'd love to just pray for you really quick, just for that, if I could. So if, if you're around Gwen, could you just place a, a hand on her as long as she's okay with that? <laughs> um, yeah. Lord, we just bless and affirm Gwen this morning, uh, first and foremost, as a daughter of the living God, deeply known, deeply loved, um, healed, and sanctified in your presence. And I just bless this anointing that you've placed on her life um, 
I bless it. I ask that you would protect it, Lord, um, and that you would continue to release it in her, that this lion that is in her would continue to come out in these gatherings of worship. It would bring healing and freedom and strength to your people. Um, And I just, I'm so confident in it because I see how the enemy wants to take it. Um, Even physically, like, um, don't know if you know, but Gwen just had like some laryngitis stuff going on a while ago and the Lord healed her of that. And that's totally the enemy trying to take that strength away um, and replace it with like nothing. (laughs) And the Lord healed it and restored that. And so I just continue to pray your protection over it, Lord, and declare that it will continue to come out of her um, in a way that pleases and delights you and strengthens your kingdom. So I pray all of this over Gwen in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, the songs this morning, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, singing about the love of the Father. We're going to get into into all of that today um, from a specific angle. Uh, But today's text is going to be John 13. There's a specific part of it we're going to hone in on, but I would like to read the whole chapter. Um, If you're able, would you stand to your feet as I read the Word of God? So I didn't put the whole chapter up. Um, this just this part. Um, I'm going to read the chapter, though. Um, I just want to put it all in context. So if you would just um, listen along with me. Reading from this Bible from Joel. It's like upside down. Like this is the right way up, but you've got to flip it upside down to get to the text. So these like tabs are from the bottom up. It's like the way they're making Bibles now, I guess. It's like the trendy way. An Etsy Bible. <laughs> All right, so John 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later on you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said, Not every one of you is clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know that I have cho- I know 
I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know whom he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask which one of, him he, one of us he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus told him, What you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought that Jesus was telling him, to buy what was needed for the festival, or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You can have your seats. Okay, so it's a longer chapter, um, but there is a lot, a lot in here for us um, in terms of the value of honor. So first thing um, that I want to point out in this text, I guess what I want to do this morning is just point out a few things that happen in this text that I think are pertinent for us right now. Um, so you can hear it all throughout this chapter. Jesus knows he's ending his time with his disciples. He has come back into the city. His crucifixion is coming. He knows that, and he knows that his time with them is short. And so here they are, gathered in this upper room together to share this meal, um, which happens to be the very meal that Jesus will later invite us into to take part with him. Um, and so here they are. And everything that Jesus is doing and saying at this point in the story is really in light of the fact that he's not going to be with them for much longer. And the begins at the beginning of this chapter, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And the first thing I just want to point out that I think we build a whole basis for honor on is that the standard for love and honor is Jesus. No one will ever love you or honor you like Jesus does. 
He is perfectly love and he is perfect honor. Having loved them to the end, or having loved those who were in the world, he loved them to the very end, right? Love is patient, love is kind, it perseveres. That is Jesus. And that's the first thing that I see in here. So as we consider this this morning, let's just hold Jesus up as the standard for love and for honor. So he's sitting with his disciples for this final meal together. And um, Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. He says, I give you this new command, love each other as I have loved you. So it made me wonder, what is the old command? If this is a new command from Jesus, because there are places in the Old Testament that talk about love. Um, it's in the Ten Commandments. It's, it's there. It's present. So what about this makes it new? Um, I think it's being held up against the old covenant, which, or the old command, which was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So let's compare those two. So love, the, love my neighbor as myself. So I love myself, I guess, right? We're all supposed to in some way, right? Um, I think it's manageable to consider the fact that, okay, maybe I could love... Um, you know, my family on mission the same way that I love myself. I think I could manage to do something like that. But love each other as Jesus loves me? That's not even remotely possible in my own strength. So he gives this new command, which is combined on the old command, and it takes it a hundred steps further. Don't just love your neighbor as yourself. Now love your neighbor as Jesus, who loved you to the very end, loves you. It's a standard that we could never meet. And, and reading this this week just kind of left me in that place. Like, how could I ever do something like that? How could I ever do that? Love with the same love that Jesus loves me? It's not possible. And I think that's part of the point of this passage is to sit back and say, whoa, Jesus, this is a command that I don't think I can follow if you don't do something in my life. We can never follow it on our own. Let's just acknowledge that together right now. It's utterly impossible in our own strength. It's only possible to love one another that deeply when the power of the Spirit of God is fully alive in us. Real honor requires spirit-empowered love. Without the spirit, we could never do this. Real love and real honor will not be present without the power of the spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to be alive in us and in our community if we really want love and we want honor to be at the forefront of what we're known for and what it feels like when you walk into our community. You know what I mean? Like we need more of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes in power on a people, real love-filled honor will follow. It will. It always does. How do I know this? Let's look at what happens to the same group of people later on in their story. We pick it up in Acts chapter 2. The same group of disciples. So Jesus came, he dies, he's risen, and then he's ascended back into heaven. Um, and he leaves them with this command, right? It says to wait in the upper room. Um, and let me see if I can find it. These tabs are really throwing me off here. Here we go. So this same group of disciples whom Jesus gave this command to are now waiting in this upper room, right? 
When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, aren't these all the people? Uh, aren't aren't all these people speaking just Galatian? Or I'm sorry, um, Galileans. Then how is it that each of them hears in their own native language? And so then Peter addresses the crowd, and later on in the chapter. Um, therefore, let all Israel, this is while Peter's addressing the crowd in the middle of this God moment where the Spirit falls and descends on people and fills the room, fills their, their entire being. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brother, what shall we do? Peter replies, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now listen to this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Doesn't that sound amazing? What I just described there. So the Spirit falls. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in tongues. People are bewildered. Peter comes out and addresses the same crowd that just weeks before had put Jesus up on a cross. Addresses them, and this time they're cut to the heart right? The, the Holy Spirit is working. And then what is the result? They begin to live together in this community where they're praying together and they're breaking bread in each other's homes and they're selling all that they have so that nobody has need. And there's wonders and signs being performed and they're enjoying favor with all the people. Doesn't that sound like love and honor? That sounds like heaven on earth or is at least close to it as it can get. It's the real deal what's happening here in Acts 2. And what made it possible? It's the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit didn't fall the way that he did, that community that, that began, that really began the, the church, right? The church that we are now a part of. It would have never happened like that. It's the Holy Spirit alive in us that even gives us the possible, like, possibility of loving one another in this way and honoring one another in this way. We need the Holy Spirit. And then here's what it says at the end of this passage. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
So they're doing all these things, right? They're basically living in the epitome of love and honor-filled community. And what is happening daily, people are coming into this community, right? Our love and honor for one another is our greatest missional weapon. This is what Jesus says in our text in John 13. We, it's still up there. Love one another as I've loved you. Then he says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. All people will know that you follow Jesus if you love one another. He says it plainly. If you, through the empowerment of the Spirit within you, lean into the, my depthless love for each other, it will actually make the world stop and take note that you're different. And it's because of Jesus. Think about that. There's so many less than versions of love out there, especially right now. And they might seem to be like the real deal to people until they come into close contact with the real, with the real thing. I was trying to think of an example to like tie this in. And, and Joel actually used a good one on Tuesday at our worship nights, which you really should come to, by the way. Come on Tuesdays. They're, they're, they're going to be really good. Uh, times of worship and prayer and teaching. But anyway, he was talking about fake Oreos versus the real thing. And we shop at Aldi and like we love Aldi. I mean, it's great. Like I don't care if it's off brand. Most, mostly everything Aldi has hits the mark. There's a few things that I refuse to buy from Aldi. Mayonnaise is one. I'm not going to eat Berman's mayonnaise, right? High, ketchup is another. I'm not, Berman's ketchup is like sweet. What'd you say? Peanut butter. I, I'll do the peanut butter, but I respect if you're a GIF person. I do. But listen, the one thing out of everything I cannot do is Aldi Oreos. They are not, they are just not the real thing. But listen, what if I never had, like, I didn't grow up having treats. Actually, um, Caroline's a great example of this. So their house was pretty, like, health conscious growing up, and they never had Oreos. They didn't have Jif peanut butter, nothing like that. But they had these things called, like, Newman's Own Oreos that are, like, healthy Oreos, if there's such a thing, right? And this is all she really ate growing up. I'm sure she had them at friend's house, real Oreos or whatever. But let's say she never did. Let's say all she ever had in the house, treats-wise, was these Newman's Own, Right? They're still sugary. They're still sweet. So she probably would think they're really good, right? Because that's all you know. But then what if I, like, dunk a real Oreo, the double-stuffed Oreo in milk, and hand that to her? Say, try this. One bite, and she's going to, like, probably never have a Newman's Own again, right? Once you have the real thing, you don't want the fake. And it's the same thing. Oh, by the way, all these now... So if you never had lemon Oreos, they're actually really good. It's weird, but they're bomb. But now Aldi's like making lemon Oreos because I guess it's like a big fad now. Um, but anyway, I digress. If you have a taste of what's real, you don't want the fake. And that's what, that's what he's talking about here. Like by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. The real love of Jesus expressed in a community of spirit-empowered believers will ruin someone for the lesser loves that they used to think were real. The real love of Jesus expressed in a community of spirit-empowered believers will ruin someone for the lesser loves that they used to think were real. Probably many of us in this room can testify to this. 
Many of us spent days walking apart from Jesus, apart from spirit-empowered community. Once you get a taste for it, it's like, I can't go back. So he says it. He says, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now I want to point something out that this verse actually used to bother me back in my younger day. I used to want to hear it say, the world will know you by your love if you love the world. That's what I wanted to hear it say. Like, because I think I was in a place where I was kind of sick of seeing, like, it doesn't feel like the church really cares about the world. It's like, we just want to do our own thing. And, and obviously that stuff, like, can exist in church culture, and there can be a real lack of love for the world, right? God loves the world. God loves the world. Um, and we are too, too. But I used to want to hear this verse say that, like, the world will know you're my disciples if you love them. Like, why is he talking about loving one another? He's talking to the disciples, right, who are going to be in this, this, this God-filled community. So why is he saying that, like, the, the, the world will know it if you love each other? I wanted to hear it say, like, if you love the world or if you love the lost. Um, he intended, Jesus intended for us as the church to love one another supernaturally in our family on mission as a witness to the world that his love is a real love. You know, uh, not too many weeks ago, one of our sermon topics was partying with unbelievers. And a thought I came away from that Sunday with is, there's kind of two versions of partying with unbelievers. There's this one, and this was talked about um, I think it was Mary Getz. It was really good. But she was talking about, like, um, you know, if you have an invitation to go to uh, an unbeliever's party, per se, right, a gathering, a bingo night, a whatever, go! She was like, go, 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 because they're inviting you into their space. There's peace. There's grace with them, right? Build relationship. Like, bring Jesus with you. Go to those places. Put yourself in a position of weakness so that Jesus can work through you, Right? There's that version of partying with unbelievers. Go to their space if they invite you. Go humbly, right? Uh, And there's this other side, too, that's like inviting them into our space. And our space really only holds any weight if there is real love and if there's real honor present. Like, imagine, like, building a relationship with somebody at work, right? And you invite them to church, and you just know in the back of your mind that, like, Church is pretty much just like a bunch of programs, right? Like we all kind of come together and we worship and do Bible study and whatever. But you don't really, let's say you don't really have any real relationships with people there. You kind of just come in, you come out. It's like maybe you're hoping that they come in and like catch the spirit, like, and then take it out and they're all of a sudden on fire for Jesus. But it's like, there's a sense in which you don't really have anything legitimate to, to bring them to. You know what I'm saying? It's like it lacks power. If it's just like us gathering to just do things, um, and it really lacks this love and this honor, we don't. it would be sad to be in a place where I don't really have any good space to invite my unbelieving friends into, like where they can taste the real thing. Um, and I'm not naive enough to know that that, that, that does exist out there. Like there, there are cases, there, there are situations where like, you, it's possible to be a church like this. It's possible for us to gather in this way and do the same things we're doing this morning, right? Worship, pray, somebody comes up and preaches, we do a potluck, whatever. Like, it's possible to do all of these things and absolutely miss out on this love and this honor that Jesus is talking about. That is possible. And if we ever lose the Holy Spirit, it's probably going to become us.
Um, so yeah, so real love will shine like so brightly in today's society, um, like even more than maybe even like 70 years ago and like sitting on someone's porch was normal behavior. But like we live in a day and age where like we are becoming more and more individualized for better, for worse, COVID, whatever, whatever reasons you want to tie to it. I'm not like trying to just, you know, condemn America or whatever, but like we're just becoming more and more of an individualistic society. It makes, it's like, it's like there's just more and more fake Oreos out there. Right. Um, but you know what that does? It's not like a reason to sit around and pout. It's an invitation for us to step up because our real love is going to shine all that much brighter. You know, I went to a restaurant um, a couple of weeks ago. Carol and I went biking in the city with a couple of friends. And we were out like a little past the strip district. And the storm just kind of popped up out of nowhere. We were like, all right, we got to go find some cover here. So we rode our bikes um, and it was coming quick, and we found a little restaurant, excuse me, it looked cool, so we stopped there, and we went inside just in time, we ate there, and it was a cool place, I mean, the food was good, whatever, but it was the weirdest experience, they didn't have waiters or waitresses, you sat at your table by yourself, it was self-seating, you scanned the barcode, you ordered on your phone, and then they bust you up your food and your drinks from the kitchen, and that was it, like, you didn't interact with anybody. Everyone was sitting at their own tables, not interacting, obviously, right? And there was no waiter or waitress, and it was so weird. I didn't realize how much, like, I actually look forward to the waiter or the waitress when I go out to eat. It's like this personal interaction. It's the personal touch. Like, it's a big part of it. But this is like a, this is what it's becoming. You know what I mean? Like, we're not trending in the other direction. We're trending in that direction being normal, right? And in an age of isolation and loneliness and, like, like social media sort of love like we've got the real thing we've got the real oreos guys and when people taste them like it's gonna be hard to say no and the other thing too is like yeah like diversity even like these things that we value in our church community like diversity is only powerful if there's love and there's honor at the center of it just having a room full of different looking people it doesn't really lead to anything life-changing right you go to a Steeler game like the nations are at Heinz Field on a Sunday afternoon like everybody and their mother's a Steeler fan like it is a diverse place but there's no love there right like I knock someone's popcorn over and they're going to blow up in my face. Like there is no real love and honor. Our commonality is that we like watching the Steelers, right? So just diversity in the sense of like people in a room that look different, that, that's not what Jesus is after, but he is after diversity, right? Because this is a, this group, right? It says when the Holy Spirit fell on them and they start speaking in tongues, there were gathered in Israel people from all different nations, right? that stop and they're bewildered because they hear their native tongue being declared by these Galileans. Like, these people end up in this community together. It is a diverse, ethnically diverse community of people, but they are gathered around Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit and love and honor are present with them. And that, that the world will stop and take notice of because that doesn't exist anywhere else in America. Nowhere else does that exist. But with Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can actually experience that. Yeah, that's a powerful missional tool. 
a powerful missional weapon for someone to look and see what is going on there. Even if they don't want to be a part of it, they're at least going to stop and take a gander. You know what I mean? Like, what, what is that? They're going to stop and look. So here's an encouragement this morning. In your zeal for mission, and I know there are people in this room who are zealous for mission, and it's good. Don't lose the zeal. But in your zeal for mission, don't underestimate the power of your love for your family on mission. And I'm saying this because there can be a sense in which we, especially if you've come from a really program-filled, like, kind of church culture, it can be like, I don't want to waste my time doing church stuff. I just want to be loving the poor. I just want to be loving the lost. How can I be with them in their spaces? And that's so good. But there can be a neglect of, like, or maybe even a questioning of, like, what's the point of some of this stuff? Like, why, why do I need to worship with believers any more than Sunday morning? Like, why would I go Tuesday? Why... What I go to, you know, uh, Stephanie's porch sit. Like, what's the point of that? I'm just going to be kind of blowing, this, you know, blowing smoke with people who already follow Jesus. And maybe it just feels like it's like you're wasting precious missional time. But my encouragement to you is don't underestimate the power of the community that you're leaning into. That is not wasted time. If it's really love and it's really honor, it is not wasted time. You will end up having, first of all, a party to invite your non-believing friends to, right? And secondly, it's just like, it's, it's like where we are like basking in the presence of God. Like if you think that you're fine just like living out on the fringes and you're, you've got enough of the spirit to like do that all the time, like honestly you don't. Like we need the spirit every day. Like the disciples were full, full of the Spirit in Acts 2, and by Acts 4, they're already praying for another filling. Because they're already like empty again, like, or they, had, they just needed another filling. Like, we get that when we gather together. When we live in this sort of community, we follow God's command, and there's always blessing in following the command of the Lord. We've got to love the lost, and we've got to love one another. And maybe it's possible that the best way we reach the lost is by loving our fellow believers, inviting them into community filled and real, uh, sorry, inviting them into a community filled with real love and real honor. Maybe it's possible that that's actually like our most important, like foundational missional weapon is to start there. Okay, I just want to point out one more thing from this passage as I close this morning. So Jesus says all the things he says, and then he says, Love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Peter, <laughs> Peter then responds to that, and Peter misses Jesus' words. So he says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're to my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? <laughs> so Jesus just gave, he said, I'm going somewhere where you can't come, and now this new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. If you do this, the world will know you're my disciples. Peter didn't even hear that. All he heard was that Jesus was going somewhere because his response is, Lord, where are you going? He didn't, he didn't even hear that command. And all he wants to do is follow Jesus where he's going. He says, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will come later, right? Jesus wasn't asking Peter in that moment to follow him to the cross. 
But you know, it's incredibly prophetic because Peter literally is going to hang on a cross later on. But that wasn't the moment. Jesus' command to him then was to stay put and love one another deeply. The world will know you if you do this. And all Peter wants to do is follow Jesus. Where are you going next, Jesus? I'm coming with. Right? And he's not even ready for that. Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. He, all he wants to do is follow Jesus. I want to go wherever you're going next. This isn't it here. Where are you going? Let me come with you. Jesus answered, will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. So this wasn't Peter's moment to go and lay his life down for Jesus. That was coming. And in some way, shape, or form, it's coming for all of us, right? This baptism we've entered into is a baptism unto death and a baptism unto abundant life. Um, and guys, like, <laughs> I just think sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we can be just like Peter. Jesus, where are you going next? I'm coming with you there. What's next? Where where are we moving next? What are we doing next? And Jesus might be saying, stay where you are. Dig in and love those around you. Just stay put and give all you have to those that I've given to you. Right before Jesus even laid his life down, his assignment was to stay put and love those the Father had given him. And it says he completed that assignment, having loved them to the very end. Sometimes this is part of your missional assignment. Stay put. Love those that I have put around you. Dig in. And some of you know that it can be easier to pick up and move on to the next thing and pick up and move on to the next thing, especially if you're like a starter, right? I want to start this. I'm going to get it rolling. I'm going to start. And that could be part of your anointing and your calling, and that's what the Lord has you doing, right? But sometimes that can feel easier, right, than like there's an element to where it can be like us doing it in our own strength, right? If we're, if, if we're not following maybe the voice of Jesus in that moment, but it can feel easier to do that than to stay. And there's like a country song called dig your roots, like dig your roots in, you know what I mean? Like really digging. That's where the ugliness comes out. That's where the messiness is. That's where the, the uncomfortability of people rubbing shoulders with you comes. Um, but that's the gold here. So Jesus is inviting the apostles, the disciples into And after Jesus ascended back into heaven, Peter and the other disciples remained in that upper room. They didn't scatter. They didn't go looking for something new. They stayed together in that one place, right? He told them, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And they waited together. For the, and as they waited together, the Spirit of the living God falls on them like never before in history, and a worldwide revival, which we are right now existing in, begins out of the manifested love of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this theme has continued all throughout the history of revival. I'm sure you've heard of the revival on Azusa Street. I watched a documentary on it once, and it blew my mind. So this is back in a day and age where black and white people weren't exactly eating dinner together in their houses regularly, to say the least. Um, 
And what happened is, is at Azusa Street, right, one person starts praying and it leads to 100 people starting to pray and they're just gathering in this house and the Spirit of God is falling on them in crazy ways. And I heard a man who was actually present at it had, this is an older documentary, but he was, he was testifying to what he was seeing. He was like, it was like heaven on earth. He said it was like um, a, a, a white man is over here. He starts speaking in tongues, and all of a sudden, this black woman, like her leg straightens out, and they're like embracing and they're hugging one another and they're praying together and sharing tears together. And it was like what was impossible before was all of a sudden possible. Um, it's like people that couldn't exist in community for demonic reasons are now like 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 unified in like real life experiences that couldn't be taken away. This was a diverse house full of nuts people just following the spirit. And all of a sudden racial barriers don't matter when the spirit shows up. There is no greater and there is no lesser in that house. The Welsh revival. Um, I watched a documentary on this one too. And I don't know all that much about it, but I know that there was this Thing um, existing in their culture. There's just a lot of anger, particularly in men. And the men who would like uh, drive these carts uh, as part of their job, they would kick these donkeys and they would scream and curse at them, right? Call them all these kinds of names. That's how they got them moving. Well, all of a sudden the spirit falls and this anger is just supernaturally like ripped out of them. It's gone. These men aren't angry anymore. And it says that the donkeys, like, had to be retrained because they didn't know how to recognize, like, this soft voice of the men being kind to them. Hey, could you move now? I don't know what they did. But they stopped kicking them, and they stopped calling them, insert, in the blank, and they stopped yelling and screaming at them. The donkeys didn't even know who they were. They had to be retrained. And so it's, like, everywhere that, like, the Spirit falls in history real love and real honor follow. These men were honoring their donkeys. You know what I'm saying? White men were honoring black women in this house in Azusa Street back in what was it the late 1800s? The world will take notice of this stuff, guys. When the spirit falls and we live in love and with real honor and with one another, this, the world will take notice. They had to take notice of Azusa Street. They'll take notice. The world took notice when the disciples started speaking in tongues, right? And that community, though many wanted it to be burned to the ground, the world certainly took notice of that community that was forming in Acts 2. I believe we're currently walking in the same anointing as these revivals. The same spirit that poured out on these people at their respective points in history is pouring himself out on us today. We've been given the blueprint for stepping into it, and it will never change. This love-filled honor. We need a fresh outpouring of the spirit. We've gotten it before, but we need it again. Like I said, the disciples received it in Acts chapter 2. And by Acts chapter 4, they were asking for it again. Don't you want to experience the blessing of what Jesus is inviting us into even more fully here? Don't you want to see what he'll do if we keep leaning into one another? We keep spending time in one another's homes, breaking bread. I live down on Franklin in the middle of this really odd, really amazing Episcopalian monastic group of people 
who literally signed their lives away to one another. Vows of poverty, sharing meals together, sharing everything they have in common, loving the poor. They literally signed that together in a contract because they, 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 they experienced revival in the Holy Spirit and that's, that's what happened in them. Don't you want to experience more of that? Don't you want to see what the Lord would do among us? I just believe it gives purpose. It gives purpose to us, like, honestly, being countercultural in this way. Like, we are not going to convince mainstream culture to start gathering in one another's homes, right? And doing all of these things. But revival doesn't happen that way anyway. Revival happens in the forgotten, small, marginalized places, like a little town in Aliquippa, you know? And like we, we, if we see this as invitation to lean into one another and discover really, truly, I think the Webbers do this so well. I really, really, really honor the Webbers. Always having people in their homes, like really giving their time. And like, I can tell they don't do it because they have to. Like they really want to like live in this sort of community with people. Um, and I just think there's an invitation for us to step even more fully into that together. So maybe I'm going to close here, but maybe the question is um, to just consider today is what does it look like for us? What does it look like for me? What does it look like for you to keep leaning into this? Who is the Lord putting in front of me to dig in with, to start a missional community with, to worship with, just to break bread with? Um, where is the Lord calling me to give my resources so that no one has need? You know, where is the Lord calling me to do this in my community, understanding that it's following his command and it's going to make the world notice. It's going to bring the lost to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And that's what we want, right? We want our neighborhoods. We want our nations with us seated around that marriage feast of the lamb. And this is our invitation to step into that.